2: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Cricketers Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Very, very excited to, to announce that the newest addition to the Playbook podcasting family. We know that SC Playbook uh, has been pretty heavily focused around fantasy sport in the past. We love it. But there's a few pretty switched on melons that know the game involved in this team. So we're going to expand to a general cricketing podcast podcast over the Australian cricketing summer. The aim of this podcast, basically, we want to be the T20 of podcasting. We want to keep you informed about all the big debates in the game. Essentially, we want to fuel your pub debates. We'll give you every argument and how to beat it. Uh, The panel I'm about to introduce and myself... We're all massive cricket nuffs. We love the game. We love to follow what's going on on around the world. We are, you know, we're desperate to know how Dan Sands, how Ben McDermott have gone in the Vitality Blast over in England, how Chris Lynn performed in the Abu Dhabi (laughs) t tournament. But it's hard to do. There's so much bloody cricket that goes on in the world. It's hard to keep up to to date, both domestically and internationally. So what we can do is we're also going to recap all the best performances across the world each week, and we're going to have a bit of fun in the process. So who's with me to do it? Firstly, it's the Cricket Australia commentator. He's a former Sydney Sixers media manager. Does any playbook regular, may or may not know, he's got the cricketing IQ of Ricky Ponting. It's Max Bryden. Maxie, welcome.
1: G'day, Tim. Great to be here, mate. Just spent uh, the last five days in Perth watching almost every ball of that test match and um, really excited to get on today and talk to you and all of our listeners about it all, mate.
2: Very good to have you along and excited to get this underway. But before we get there, my next guest, famous for his attempted crowd catches at the Marsh Cup. He also considers himself pretty funny fella. I've got my reservations, but what I do know is that he knows the game inside out and back the front. Hammy Goodman. Hammy, how are you, mate? Timmy,
0: thank you for having me and uh, love that we, we're kind of uh, setting it up as a general cricket podcast. Love my general cricket. Uh, very excited <laughs> to, to join you boys and... Um, Nice of you to kind of tip your hat uh, to the uh, catch that I took at the at the Marsh Cup a couple of years ago as well. Um, I'm getting a bit emotional here, big big moment for me, so uh, I'll try to keep it together off the top. But uh, yeah, very excited to uh, that you that you've mentioned that.
2: Mate, I actually wasn't alluding to the catch that you took at the Marsh Cup. I was uh, alluding to the one that you took. I was uh, tried to take I should say was it a week was it a month was it 12 months earlier now it is one of the great redemption stories um, it is can you walk us through what would have been a really tough period in your life but you showed yeah. a bit of character and you overcame your demons
0: Big redemption story. You're right. and I mean, you, you were probably, you mentioned you were alluding to my the drop catch, but um, you're only as good as your last attempt at a catch and I managed to hold on to that one. So I'll, I'll be taking a hold of that one. But it was 12 months earlier at the Junction Oval, uh, you know, quintessential domestic cricket venue. Um, I'd actually burned a sick day at work. I told work I was sick and wasn't coming in. And um, uh yeah, I went down there with my folks. They were in town uh, visiting me in Melbourne at the time. And Went down there and, uh, you know, I kind of got myself in the slot. Marcus Harris was batting against Clive Rose. So I was sort of over mid-wicket there to the left-hander, sitting on the hill, uh, just working the angles there a little bit, putting myself in the arc. And um, little Marcus Harris really got a hold of one. And I, I sort of went back with the flight up the hill, made a bit of a mess of it, um, landed in the middle of some lady's picnic rug and uh, and dropped it. And that one was sort of – that was broadcast onto all the TVs in, in a, my office that I work at. So my phone just about exploded, my boss – uh, all my peers, they kind of, they'd seen that I wasn't actually sick, uh, but I had dropped a catch on on national TV. So that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, I got some pretty direct feedback from a lot of my peers there, and a lot of cyberbullying. Uh, as you know, we're living in this cricket content age. I mean, they, they kind of posted that one everywhere. Uh, the powers that be at CA that I, I dropped a catch. Um, but it's a really good lesson in resilience and getting back on the horse, I like to think, Timmy. So any listeners today you can take this away over the festive season and, and apply it to your own lives. But I went back almost 12 months to the day later, um, and my PTSD wouldn't allow me to sort of get back in that same spot of the ground. But I still found my way into the arc up the other end of the hill. So I was over long on uh, Usman Kawaji batting against Johnny Holland, back in the arc again. And I was actually chatting to my dad on the phone. Uh, there is video footage of it. I've got AirPods in. <laughs> and I was telling Dad that I was back at the cricket for the first time since the previous catch. And as I'm on the phone to my old man, uh, Uzi dances down the wicket and puts one in my direction. This time I'm going downhill, which was a big advantage for me. I could kind of keep my eyes on it the whole time. Held on to it, carried on a little bit. Um, but it just goes to show if you uh, you know if you if you've got a clear goal and you follow your dreams, eventually. Uh, you can achieve anything, um, which was certainly the case for me. Bucket list item for me to take a catch uh, at a Marsh Cup game, being there, done yeah. that. So uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much how it happened.
2: <laughs> yeah, carried on a little bit. It is one of the great, great understatements I have ever heard. <laughs> uh, and, mate, look, it is one of the great redemption stories. You're sitting there wearing your, your Canberra Comets cap and – They folded. They couldn't handle the pressure. But mate, for you to come back, as you said, twelve months later, I can only imagine how tough that twelve month period was for you. The fact that it had gone viral as well, and I think every cricketer at some stage in their career has had a bit of a yips in the outfield where they, you know, just will not stick. They cannot catch a cold. It goes up. You've got about. You've generally got about three or four seconds to think about those big ones when you're you're at fine leg or long on wherever it might be, you know. Obviously, Aussie's absolutely smoked this one's gone into the crowd. You probably had six or seven seconds to think about it when it yep. went up. What was the heart doing? What was the head doing? Did you just go, "This is my moment," or did you go, "Oh shit, it's happening again"?
0: Bit from column A, bit from column B, because uh, I sort of know. Like I thought, if I if I drop another one, there's not a hole big enough for me to to, to get into, <laughs> yeah. uh, but. It was like, I don't know if you've seen that movie Over the Hedge, where there's actually a character in that called Hammy, voiced by Steve Carell, a little squirrel, and he can go faster than everyone. So whenever he walks around, everything's going in super slow motion. It felt like that. I felt I felt like I had about three hours to think about it. Um, wasn't the cleanest. Grab, if you have a look, the, the, the technique's a little bit questionable. But look, I got the job done. And uh, thank God I did, because I, I actually don't know what I would have done if I went zip from two. I might have had to stop attending cricket altogether, to be honest. So uh, thankfully, we didn't have to cross that bridge.
1: So how many are we thinking
0: it is, Steve Carell, that plays you in the movie about this story? Uh, Yeah, I'd probably be thinking maybe like a Gosling or one of the Super Hunks (laughs) probably uh, would be a more fitting kind of um, uh, option to play me. But uh, I mean, Steve Carell got some great chops as well. So um, I'm not too picky, but I I don't know if he's got the cricket crowd catching skills maybe to, to pull the role off.
2: We're yeah, seven minutes yeah. into the first Cricketers Playbook podcast and Hammy has inspired the millions of listeners that I'm sure are going to be tuning into this podcast. Yeah. So, mate, a, a very bold thing of you to do over the Christmas and New Year period as we set our goals for 2024. <laughs> Boys, let's get stuck yeah. straight into it. We're starting with a little segment we're going to call The Appeal. Basically, we're going to put Hammy and Maxi head-to-head with each other and the topic to start the podcast is going to be Who replaces David Warner in retirement at the top of the order for the Australians? The West Indies series coming up after, of course, the Pakistan series. Now, boys, there are a few options that have been uh, thrown about in the media. You know, that PM's 11 game against Pakistan was pretty telling as well. Uh, A few names that have been thrown up. Marcus Harris, this Shield season, 282 runs at 31.33. He has one ton and 150. Also scored 49 in the PM's 11 game. Cam Bancroft, 512 runs at 56.88, two tons, three fifties this season in the Shield, 53 in the PM's 11. Matt Renshaw, 348 runs in the Shield at 31.63, one ton, two fifties, 136 not out against the Packies in the PM's 11. The three major names there. Boys, all fellas who have played for the Australian Test team before, Uh, Maxi, I'll start with you, mate. Who have you got replacing David Warner for the first test against West Indies at the top of the order?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim. Um, For a very long time in this country, it's always been about weight of runs to make your way into the Australian test team. It's what they always tell players when they're coming through the grades, when they get dropped back from the Australian test team back to shield, it all comes back to weight of runs. And when you look at those statistics, there's only one name that stands out from the crowd now. A couple of those players you mentioned, Marcus Harris, Matt Renshaw, when you look at their average over not just this season, but the last three altogether, it's in the 30s. But if you look at the numbers from Cameron Bancroft, the other man on that list, 25 matches, 8 tons at 50.23. Put simply... He's not only got the weight of runs, he's been in form for a number of years now. He's had a few chances to open the batting at test level, but a sustained period without the axe hanging over his head. I think it's got to be Cam Bancroft, and I think he's going to do well for the Aussies against the West Indies in those two tests that they'll play to start 2024.
2: Yeah, as I said, whichever way they do go, the pressure's going to be on because they've all had chances before uh, with mixed fortunes. Hammy... Who do you like from those options? You know, can you throw up any curly ones at us? Who do you think replaces David Warner?
0: Yeah, slightly curly one, and I mean, we did have a quick chat, uh, you know, last week uh, about uh, Green versus Marsh as well. And I was in, I was firmly in Team Green at that point. Um, I feel like there's an opportunity to make both work at the moment because we've seen now Mitch Marsh probably approaching undroppable sort of areas. He's, he's proved yeah. it across yeah. a, a variety the, the, of surfaces. The, the,
2: green over, the Green over Marsh calls age well, so you're lucky that was a pilot. of <laughs> and out on the socials briefly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think if we circle back to those three names that you mentioned, um, Bancroft, Renshaw and Harris, um, I just don't know that we're markedly a better side with either of those three names in the team. I think we are a better side if we've got Marsh and Green In the team. We've got so many options there. Uh, You know, those folks have all had a little bit of a crack before. Not to say they can't have a crack again. And I think Bancroft is a better player now than when he he got dropped. He's probably the one name that stands out there. But hear me out with this little theory. And Tom Morris spoke at length about this um, as well and and wrote about this. And he, he mounted a pretty good argument. He had about 12 qualifying factors, but there's three or four that really kind of stood out for me. Um, essentially he's adaptable. He's proved it in the ashes. He did it with a red ball in the ashes. He went to the World Cup in India and proved that he can score runs there as well. He's getting better and better and uh, enjoying a bit of a third or fourth crack kind of in, in the in the international uh, setup. Uh, I don't like the idea of shuffling other blokes up the order. I think guys like uh, he- uh Smith and Head, they're all kind of settled at three, four and five. And I think some of the other options which have... Um, You know, we've considered facilitating both Green and Marsh have involved moving everybody up. I don't really want to do that. I think we can kind of throw Marsh up there with the tools that he's got. Great straight uh, down the ground, great puller of the ball as well. Um, And he's a great aggressive option. It's, you know, I think in the the kind of baseball world that we're living in, you know, did it work, didn't work, doesn't really matter. I think there's some merit to having some aggressive options right through your order and putting Marsh up there, I think scares bowling attacks more than potentially – um other blokes who could uh who are being thrown up as options uh and the other thing that we've got on our side here as well is if we're not 100 sure that he can succeed at the top of the order uh in English conditions well we're not going there till 2027 in the interim we've got the West Indies India and England here and then we've got New Zealand and Sri Lanka away so we've got a bit of time there to acclimatize Mitch Marsh to the opening role um and then you know probably this time next year if Aussies looking to, to give it up, maybe then you can bring one of those other guys in that we spoke about, um, Bancroft, Renshaw, Harris. But I think there's a bit of merit in um, giving Marsh a crack at the top of the order.
2: Mm. It's an interesting argument you make there. And the fact that we do have some, you know, with no disrespect to the Kiwis who have been very high up in world rankings for a number of time now, very formidable nation, especially at home, and uh, Sri Lanka to a probably lesser degree, and playing over in the subcontinent always oh, never easy. But... You know, it's not India and India test series. It's not the Ashes over in England. So it it is a good 12-month sort of period, you know, to blood the next option at the top of the order, wherever it might be. Obviously, Michie Marsh is a bit older. Michie Marsh came out uh, during the week and said he's happy where he is. He wants to bat at number six. He doesn't want to open the batting... You know, so it's hard. You don't want to make someone uncomfortable. At the same time, the blokes we mentioned earlier, Harris, Bancroft, Renshaw, all had chances. None of them are knocking the door down. Maxie, what are your thoughts on potentially putting Mitchie Marsh up the order?
1: I think... Hammy, I mean, you mentioned that you would, wouldn't want to move around Manus Labuschagne, Steve Smith in the order. I'm not sure why Mitch Masters is any exception to that rule if you're talking about putting him up as an opener. The the bloke is an absolute uh, uh, a violent aggressor when he's at number six, coming in usually around the sort of 50, 60, 70th over of the match where in Australian conditions, the ball's dead. It's not doing much. It's not challenging him much, and he can just go to work and hit bulk runs at number six. So I feel that putting him at number one uh, or in the opening position, yes, he's done it a little bit in white ball cricket, but that ball goes dead a lot sooner than what the red cooker bar is going to do in test matches here. So I'd be really concerned by that you're losing the impact and the impetus that he's got at number six by putting him up at number one.
2: Hammy, uh, you've got to be cautious of of someone like Mitchie Marsh at number six because – not only is he an aggressor, but he's a violent aggressor, as Maxie Bryden has put it. So you've got to watch <laughs> out for those violent aggressors. Um, yeah. Uh, what What do you reckon? I'm, I'm on the fence a little bit. I, I am leaning towards at this stage the Cameron Bancroft argument, and and a big part of that is just Mitchie Marsh coming out during the week and saying I'm happy at number six. I'm happy to stay. Hammy, I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of seconds to try and change my mind before I yep. give
0: the verdict. Yeah. Well, good points that you make there as well, Maxine. And he's doing the job at number six. Uh, if there's someone really, really, really banging the door down, I'd be happy to keep him there. However, I'm trying to accommodate both of these uh, great all-rounders into the team. And I think that uh, based on how they're going at the moment, uh, Marsh is the man that could slot in up at the top there. We saw another guy who was probably more at home at number six, get up to the top of the order and make a pretty good fist of it in Shane Watson uh, late in his career as well. And I reckon there's some synergies there with the way these blokes go about it. So, look, I could cope with Cameron Bancroft opening the batting again for Australia. However, I'm just trying to see if I can um, squeeze both of these great all-rounders in because I think any time that we're not putting into Cameron Green in the test team, even if he's a little bit out of form, for me, uh, that's kind of wasted time because it's going to pay off big time up the other end of his career.
2: Boys, all great arguments could go either way. Handing down the verdict, though, I'm going to go with Cameron Bancroft at the top of the order. Sorry, Hammy, but points decision goes Ooh. to Maxi Bryden. <laughs> uh, Wilkowski is playing in the, uh, the, the the quickly arranged two-day tour game uh, for Pakistan against, what are they calling the Australian team, boys? Just the, the misfits?
1: The non-BBO contracted mm. B team.
2: Uh, would, <laughs> would love to see Bukowski come out and get some runs in that one because he's tailor-made for that spot. Uh, just got to sort a few things out. But an absolute time. Hey, Maxi, before we move on, I've thrown you under the bus here because you might not know a heap about him, but you know, you know a lot about the game of cricket. You know a hell of a lot about cricket in Sydney and the lower grades. Sam Constas, the 18-year-old gun. Kerry O'Keefe threw him up as a bit of a smoky uh, for that role, not immediately, but he says he's one that might not be too, too far away from the role. Uh, look, he's not going to be opening for Australia in the first test against the Windies, but what can you tell us about Sam Constis?
1: Yeah, look, the first thing that comes to mind, if if Kerry's throwing that name up as a Smokey, then he might be smoking something because um, it does feel a little <laughs> yeah. bit premature. Um, but look, people may have seen his name uh, playing for New South Wales in the Sheffield Shield in their final match before this BBL break. And he's actually picked up a Sydney Thunder contract as well. Um, what you need to know about him is that he is the first guy coming through New South Wales cricket for a couple of seasons, who's got that genuine Australian test cricket player, future player tag on him. Um, And it's for very good reason. Um, Played his junior cricket at the St. George Cricket Club. And more recently, he's moved to Sutherland, uh, the club of Steve Smith, the club more recently of Shane Watson, who has uh, been a mentor to him uh, of late after he came across him uh, in the nets. He's got a fantastic technique, He's got patience, he's got power, uh, and everywhere he goes, he's breaking run scoring records. Um, Last season, he scored over 1,000 runs in all grades for Sutherland Cricket Club uh, and broke the all-time record for the most runs in a season for a single player. So, um, He's he's a player of immense potential, um, and he does look good at the top of the order. Um, All you need to know about him is that the old adage that bringing new guys into Red Bull cricket, you usually want to shepherd them, put them down at number five, number six, where perhaps they're not, Uh, facing the biggest challenges, but the New South Wales Blues were confident enough to put him in at number three in his debut match at the SCG. Um, And despite from potentially probably a a couple of poor dismissal uh, in the first innings where he was hitting a ball on the up to cover, um, he looked right at home. So certainly I think we'll be talking about him in a couple of years time if he can put together a really strong resume at New South Wales, which based on his current trajectory you'd expect him to do.
2: Boys, one that, uh, the man of the moment a little bit, and sort of throwing up a little bit of a curly one, but not a name I've seen you know, thrown into the argument too much. He's not a noted opening bat, but he's a sort of number three, four, uh, slash, you can bat pretty well anywhere. But uh, Aaron Hardy, absolutely blistering uh, for the Scorchers overnight. Uh, he, look, he's another all-rounder option, which we're probably not uh, short on at the moment with, with the names that you mentioned, but... He's just short of his 25th birthday. His first-class batting record, he just 43 with the bat, a top score of 174 not out from his 30 first-class appearances. Is he a bloke that – it's like certainly an Australian cricketer on the up. Is he one that could come into the mix at all after you, Hammy?
0: Not right now, I don't think. Uh, I reckon we've got a bit of a backlog there with with the all-rounders, but definitely a very impressive cricketer. And if he keeps going the way he is, he'll, he'll be tough to ignore. Um And can do it across all three formats. Played a couple of one-days in South Africa earlier in the year as well. So he's definitely on the radar. But, geez, I don't know what's going on over there in Perth, but um, we've got Marsh, Green, Hardy, Hilton, Cartwright. Um, They just keep popping up uh, year after year. So a bit of a production line uh, for the all-rounders over there. But I can't see enough space to fit him in uh, to, like, the test side at at this stage.
2: Yeah, so plenty of options. We just need to see in the back half of the Shield season – Someone just needs to put their hand up like the old days and go, ton, 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 and go, bang, you're in, you're our man. Uh, Anyway, we'll see how that goes. Boys, moving on, Alex Carey coming uh, into the summer under a little bit of pressure. Uh, Look, I think one thing that that certainly helps Carey is that, much like the opening batting spot, there's no one really knocking the door down uh, to take that spot. There are a few names thrown up, and this isn't to say Carey's um, on the brink of getting dropped or anything, but at the end of the day, you're there, as a keeper, firstly, to keep wicket, secondly, to score a few runs. Uh, Jimmy Pearson, Josh English, Josh Phillips, Pete Hanscom, Jake Doran, um, all these sort of blokes. Again, we know there's more to it as a wicket keeper than just getting a few runs on the board. But in the Shield this season, Jake Doran, surprisingly, the top average of those names listed, uh, averaging 45 runs. Peter Hanscom, he's not going to get another crack, surely, averaging 36. Jimmy Pearson, uh, a very, very good wicket keeper, averaging 35 with the bat. Uh, Max, I'll start with you. Firstly, is Alex Carey under any pressure? And if so, even if not, who do you think's next in line there?
1: Well, i tell you what, if you asked the crowd in Perth at the Test match last week, they would definitely say he was under pressure. Uh, coming to the ground and watching him bat with Mitch Marsh uh, in the first session of day two, um, he was one of the most hated men in Australia because <laughs> he, he couldn't—he was really struggling to turn the strike over uh, and the crowd, they just wanted the big bison <laughs> to go out there and bop a few to the fence. Yeah. Um, But look, having said that, there's no doubt that he's in a downward patch of form at the moment. Um, He's uh, uh, being sacked from the one-day team during the middle of the World Cup I thought was quite surprising but did show that the selectors aren't afraid to make big decisions like this. Um, But having said that, I think that until he shows any kind of demise with the gloves... I think that he's safe for now and some of the takes that he had in Perth alone on what was a difficult wicket with um, balls shooting low, um, hitting cracks, um, especially to Nathan Lyon was was still good enough and I don't think that there's anyone in the country who's quite challenging him for the title of best gloveman right now. But having said that, if he does have a lean series and isn't able to cash in on the opportunities that are given to him against Pakistan and the West Indies this summer, then There should be question marks about him as well, given some of the depth in the wicket-keeping stakes that we've got.
2: Maxie, the Boxing Day test. Barbara Zam to the crease. He top edges one. Alex Carey turns around on a dime, sprints towards a ball, and the hammy goes on him, God forbid. And we need a wicket-keeper to come into the team. Who is the man?
1: I think Jimmy Pearson. I think (laughs) that uh, the Queenslander has done enough over the last few seasons. Um, You talk about body of work. um, He's got a really impressive one. I'd say that he's probably slightly ahead of Josh Inglis in glove work alone, um, but I also think he scored some really good runs for the Queensland Bulls for the last couple of seasons and his leadership is also really good. Um, it was very interesting hearing a podcast recently where um, I think it was Matt Renshaw was talking about he was pretty close to getting a game in the uh, Ashes series over in England uh, when Alex Carey was under a bit of an injury cloud. So I think that he's firmly in the selector's thoughts as the, the next best when we're talking about red Bull cricket
2: Hammy, what do you think around Carey and who's next in line?
0: Yeah, I agree with a lot of the points that Max made there. I think, you know, the role of your test match wicketkeeper is to help the bowlers take 20 wickets and you you want your best gloveman there. That's been him for the last little while and I was particularly impressed with how he kind of went about it in India, um, that third test in Indoor where the pitch was doing all sorts and I know Andrew McDonald attributed a lot of that win to the wicketkeeping of Alex Carey. do some of those other names have the tools to do that? I don't know. Maybe um, maybe they do, but he certainly hasn't done anything wrong from a wicketkeeping perspective. Some pretty eyes-up footy in terms of a great run out in the Ashes as well. Let's not forget that. <laughs> um, while he probably hasn't got the runs he wants, he's probably got a good chance to get some. Um, all right, he, I mean, he, had, he got a start in Perth, but um, you'd like to think that, I mean, provided that we lose five wickets, he might get a couple against the West Indies or what have you later in the summer, but... From a glove work perspective, um, I, I can't really fault him at the moment. He's, he's He's been great behind the stumps there. Jimmy Pearson's probably the one that stands out. Uh, average of 36 and one tonne this year, two tonnes last season with a similar average uh, and some tidy glove work in the PM's 11 up to the stumps. Did some pretty funky stuff there that not everyone can pull off. So, um, And I know there's been a bit of talk about him. But I, I wonder whether Josh Inglis and his time in the one-day team at the World Cup, having been around a lot of the guys already, played in the national team. Um, Yes, it's a different format, but a ton there in the T20s as well. I wonder whether that kind of stuff might weigh in his favour if you know Hamstring was to get pinged, Um, whether maybe they might go the Josh Inglis uh, route maybe rather than Jimmy Pearson, but um, I suppose it's a bridge we'll cross when we get to it, but I could see maybe maybe Inglis being slightly ahead there.
2: I'll throw an absolute curly one at you, and I can't wait to be shot down with it, and For the record, it's not my opinion, and and I like Pearson as well, but I do think it's worth chatting about. Boys, let's say Alex Carey does have a lean couple of series, can't hit it off the square, duck after duck after duck, and they go, a change needs to be made. Let's just say Cameron Bancroft comes in for the tour against the West Indies. He opens the bat. He's getting runs. He is a past wicket keeper. Boys, it's been a while since he has kept regularly. I do not even remember if he was any good. Max, I'll throw to you. Firstly, how was he with the gloves during his time there, Obviously, particularly with WA? And it wouldn't happen overnight, but if they did have sort of six months to get some time into him, is that fathomable? Because it would also keep Hammy happy because he could keep uh, Mitch Marsh and Cam Green lower down the order. Everyone wins.
1: Yeah, Tim, D, Tim, you're always playing 4D chess. Uh, but if I had to describe uh, Bancroft's keeping, I would say it's permanent part-time. Right. Um, I think very, very... Uh, Uh, well-memoried cricket fans would remember a T20 game at the SCG between India and Australia, uh, famous mostly for Shane Watson's blistering century, uh, which completed his collection of all of the rings to get a ton uh, in all three formats for Australia, um, was lost because Bancroft missed a really simple stumping uh, off the bowling. I think it might have been of Cameron Boyce uh, to uh, Suresh Rayner, um, and at the time, uh, India were absolutely shot in this match and then Reina went absolutely nuts. Um, not only did that end the experiment with Cameron Boyce with the gloves in that format of the game, but we did also... No- so, uh, Sorry, let me say that again. Not only did that end the experiment with Cameron Bancroft behind the stumps for Australia, it was also the end of Cameron Boyce uh, in, in, in short form cricket as well after what was a pretty good start for him. Um, I guess we do have Cameron Bancroft's lousy gloves to thank for the discovery of Adam Zampa uh, and the subsequent <laughs> World Cups that have come from that. But um, was he up to test standing with the gloves? Absolutely no chance, mate.
2: Hard no on Cameron Bancroft to uh, take the gloves for the Australian cricket team. Noted, mate, and we'll never speak of that again. Boys, (laughs) the the Indian Premier League auction uh, the last day or two. Some enormous numbers coming out. You'd love to be an Australian cricketer at the moment. Obviously, coming off the back of the the World Cup triumph over in India, teams have just gone, yep, they've got it. You know, proven performers, they've done it on, on their turf. Pat Cummins was auctioned off as uh, the the most expensive buy in IPL auction history, going for $3.7 million, 20.5 crore. Uh, That record lasted for all of about 20 minutes before his fellow paceman, Mitch Stark, came in at $4.2 million, 24.75 crore. That equates to $316,000 a game. $13.2,000 $13.2,000 a delivery for Mitchell Stark. many? Um, I'll start with you, mate. Not a bad payday for the boys.
0: Absolutely. And that's 13 dollars uh, without counting potential wides and no balls as well. Um, yeah. So going to be interesting to see uh, Mitch enjoying all that. But I, I honestly um, can't give it to a better bloke there. I mean, he's put... IPL on the back burner for and Australian cricket first for so long. He was nailing it. He was one of the, the best bowlers in the IPL for a number of years. And he said, no, I'm, I'm putting Test cricket first. I'm putting all that first. So for him to go as the the, the highest paid player ever, I think good on him and very well deserved. So um, can't be happier for him. Cummins as well this year took a little bit of a backseat. World Cup year, Test championship, Ashes, all that sort of stuff. He said, I'm not playing. And he's come back a year later and and got rewarded. So, massive congrats to those blokes. As you move down the list a little bit, uh, Spencer Johnson, probably one that um, surprised me a little bit, Mm -hmm. 1.8 million just about. Um, He's picking up, obviously, showing a good bit of potential. But 12 months ago, he was only really just breaking through and and getting the odd game here or there uh, in the big bash. And um, that's a big paycheck based on potential, which, you know, hopefully he can kind of deliver on. But when I look at that compared to Travis Head, who's just played one of the greatest innings ever in a World Cup final against India. How is Spencer Johnson getting half a million bucks a year more than Travis Head? That one confused me a little bit. Head's also getting half a million less than Stoyness and almost $2 million a season less than Cameron Green, who's not even getting a start in the Aussie T20 side um, at the moment. So some interesting ones for me there, but um, kudos to all the boys for getting paid.
2: The other one uh, to add in there, and as you said, kudos to the boys for getting paid because they all deserve it, and good luck to them. Yeah, they earn more in these, these two and a half months than I will probably in my lifetime. Um, but you <laughs> mentioned Spencer Johnson there at one point seven eight million. Jai Richardson, who is phenomenal in short any form of cricket, not just short form, he went for double Jai Richardson at eight hundred and ninety k, who is proven and has done it for a long time. Like that is taking the dead set, Mickey. Um, Josh Hazel, yep. was the poor bug, had no bids at the auction. So he lo- looks at his two mates. It's a bit whack. Yeah. Absolutely it's filthy. A
0: spare a thought Vim He came up straight after Stark as well. And, you know, just after Cummins and Stark had broken all the records. That's um that's a tough day at the office for uh for old Hoff there. Yeah.
2: Steve Smith could be the best since Bradman. He went unsold in that one. Uh Maxie, what did you make of it all of that? And in particular the the you know the the changes and the differences between all the Aussies' paydays.
1: Yeah, well, look, if I'm Josh Hazelwood, I'm refusing to, to pay for a beer for the next 12 months. Right. Uh, I think his, his mates in the fast bowling cartel can look after him. Uh, that's for sure. Look, I, I think that um, well, you know Spencer Johnson aside, um, it's all pretty much gone to plan, I think, as you'd expect from the outside looking in. Um, one guy who, I, who I'm really excited about is uh, Ashton Turner, yeah. the Perth Scorchers skipper. Now, he's a bit like Pate. He's an acquired taste, I think, but people who really watch their T20 cricket – know that he brings a skill set which is really, really hard to replicate. Um, Batting late in innings at number five and number six and finishing games um, isn't an easy thing to do. And and some would say it's arguably the hardest part of T20 cricket. So I think the Lucknow Super Giants have gotten a bit of a steal uh, picking him up for $178,000. And if he gets on the park over there in the IPL, I'm sure he's going to do his reputation uh, no harm and potentially even catapult himself back into that Australian side
2: Yeah, hardly worth even going over the IPL for 178k. That's nothing. Um, (laughs) Just quick one before we we pass over the IPL. Stark vs Cummins. Now I know I'm really clutching at um, crawls here, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank God, thank God, I was really very well
0: played, very well played off the
2: top of the head as well. So um, thanks, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Right. you know, 500K between their totals, and it's a stupid argument, but I'm all for it. Why not? We did just speak about Cameron Bancroft being the keeper for the Australian cricket team. Stark went for more than Cummins. The Australian cricket captain, a few years younger. Uh, they're both similar in a lot of ways in that they can both bowl anywhere of the in, in the innings. They can open, they can bowl at the death. It doesn't really matter, and they're just as effective. Stark uh, probably can be a little bit more erratic, or well, not, probably can be. He definitely can be a little bit more erratic. He's also probably more of a match winner than Pat Cummins. Maybe that's the edge where he got that little bit extra cash. Uh, Max, were you surprised Stark got more than Cummins at the auction?
1: I I definitely was. Um, I think that if you you look particularly at uh, white ball cricket in the last few years, um, Stark isn't that same Stark from the 2015 Mm. World Cup uh, on Australian shores. Yes, he's an exceptional player, but that ability to dial up the Yorker every delivery with no trouble, it's not necessarily there anymore. Um, And maybe that is just because of how much test cricket uh, has become his focus as opposed to short-form cricket. Now, it's not to say that he can't get it back, but what Pat Cummins also offers in T20 cricket is some really good ball striking. Um, we saw it a couple of times in the World Cup. Um, there was a game where I think he hit a few runs against New Zealand, um, absolutely belting them out of the screws. And um, I think it was also, uh, if you look up the record books for the fastest IPL 50s, his name's right up there as well for some previous work he's done for the Kolkata Knight Riders. Um, so I'm not surprised he was really expensive, but maybe it's just a matter of when you're getting up to those figures, half a million doesn't really matter to these mm-hmm. to these owners.
2: Back in 2018, 14 balls, that 50 for Paddy Cummins, uh, and it was over the head of Dan Sams, fellow countryman. That's absolutely gold. Um, (laughs) Boys, let's get on and have a quick look at the upcoming Boxing Day test. Now, Hopefully, there's a few international listeners who are sitting there and they think, "Oh, what arrogant little um, little buggers these bikes are!" But I'm going to call it what it is, and we've just won the first test very comfortably. We've obviously got a phenomenal record uh, in Australia, where the World Test Championship winners—we're killing it. Coming um, into the second test, obviously, the Australian cricket team are professionals. There'll be no complacency. You know, they'll treat it like like it's an Ashes test. We know that. Of course they will. However, they're also probably in the back of the mind going, we're going to walk in this Boxing Day test. What is there to achieve outside of winning a test match and the obvious one for the Australians here? You know, what are the long-term goals? What do they want to get out of the Boxing Day test and into the Sydney cricket, uh, the SCG test, I should say?
0: Look, I I think they just want to get through... I, I can't see a world where Pakistan win this, and I think if you look at the the bookies, have got um, Australia dollar twenty five favourites, Pakistan fifteen bucks, and I just Jeez. I think that's spot on. I can't see a world where Pakistan um, cause an upset. They need runs if they are to to make that happen. They need Babar's arm to get going. Pretty quiet time of it over there in Perth. They had a few starts from their top three, which it was pretty good, but I just don't think there's enough around that, and I don't think their bowlers look. They didn't look worrying enough um, in Perth. That's going to be an even tougher ask in in Melbourne as well. So look, to be honest with you, I'm not hundred percent sure. I I wondered again, whether it might've been an opportunity to get a game into someone around the edges on the periphery or, or, you know, um, just to to help them sort of settle in a bit because it's a great question. You ask, what are we looking to get out of these games? I think we, we basically know we're going to win them. Um, and whilst it was a great knock, uh, in Perth, um, in the first innings. I mean, the dollar ten favourite lob, didn't it? Um, Dave <laughs> Warner smashing a ton um, in his farewell tour against his favourite opposition. So great to see, uh, you know, a nice moment. I'm sure he's got a few more runs in him through the series, but, you know, what's the end game of, of that, I suppose? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but for me, I can't see any other result than uh, it might not be 360 runs like it was in Perth, but it'll be, I think it'll be up there.
2: Yeah could also be 500, who knows. Maxi? how do you see it? Um, again, I assume you're probably thinking pretty one-way traffic in the way of the Australians. We're also going to look like absolute melons uh, if the package come out and rolls by 500 runs. So, look, time will tell, but let's back ourselves for now. Uh, I can always take the podcast down. Maxi. what do <laughs> Australia get out of this uh, this test match? Oh, yeah, what we'll tell like?
1: you what there is to get out of it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what there is to get out of it. There's ICC test championship points to get out of it. It um, was no fluke that we mattered to the final, um, but that was that was provided to, uh, to us by having a dominant home record for the Australian team because playing overseas and different schedules, playing in India and England, it's hard. And even over in New Zealand, there's going to be a different test for us on pitches uh, and conditions that offer a little bit more swing, probably closer to playing cricket in Tasmania than it is to Western Australia. Um having gone to that test match and watched so much of it on TV i do have concerns that if the pitch hadn't have done what it did and broken up in a way which made batting extremely difficult late into day 3 and into day 4 that would we have had that same result would we've had enough time to win the game because yes we can be the better team but in australia sometimes you need 5 days particularly at grounds like the mcg and the scg which can be a little bit flat and docile so i think we still need our best team out there. I still think it's going to be hard yakka to get on top of the Pakistanis. Um, I think what most impressed me about them was that while there was a lot of loose stuff with their bowling, the debutant, Jamal, yeah. he bowled some absolute jaffers to get rid of particularly our left-handers and um, Stark and Carey in that first inning. So um, there's a few green shoots in that Pakistan team. Um, can they beat us? No. Can they hang on for a draw? Absolutely they can if it's a flat deck at the MCG.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Jamal there. He was a real shining light out of the first test. Six for 111 uh, in the first innings off his 20 overs. Second innings, one for 28 off nine. You know, in this ultimate universe where uh, Pakistan do knock us off and obviously we don't want to see the Australian cricket team lose, but, geez, if they do knock us off, we game on in Sydney. So that'd be something, a small silver lining. Um, they'll need, you know, Babur Azam to step up, take, hit a ton of runs. Shaheen Afridi was okay in patches, but probably just needs to be able to build a bit more pressure with the ball as their sort of go-to bowler. Um, catchers, to state the absolute obvious, their fielding at times is just really, really poor. If they're going to knock us off, they all have to stick. Hammy, for them to win, what what needs to happen?
0: Yeah, you're spot on with the the catches. I mean, when the, when the skipper drops a... Uh... Where was he running back? Was it at mid-on or something like that? It was a absolute dolly. Um, that that for me was like, oh, they were probably in it to that point, but that, that there was a few key components of that. The skipper, it was a dolly. From, from there on, it was a bit of a momentum shift. Um, but look, you know, it's, it's an interesting point you raised there, Maxie, about the pitch not breaking up because it did look probably destined for a draw for a little while. You, you're actually not wrong there, but I just um, – just the way in which they kind of really just dropped away there in the, in the second innings. I'm not sure they've got the, the batting to hang on for a draw out here. Anyway, is, is my sort of read on things. Um, and last, last couple of, uh, day fives at Melbourne, it hasn't been that complete cement block that it was a few years ago where it was lending itself to a lot of draws. So I don't know. i, I really, I think they need runs from Babar if they're going to get going. He's a real kind of, you know, um, Uh, he's a real kind of yardstick for them of of where they're at. And he didn't get going even obviously this is his first test without the captaincy in a little while. So he'll be, he'll be big for them. But, um, I think it's just going to be a real uphill battle. You did mention, um, Jamal there. I thought he was great and he just sort of stuck at it. He, He didn't get off to a great start, but, um, kept at him. And it'd be interesting seeing those six wickets that he did take, I think five of them came, you know, in the space of an hour or 90 minutes or so. Uh, he really impressed me. Um, uh, you know, so early into his career. So looking forward to watching him on going to the Boxing Day test. he will be good to see. But I think um, you're right. There's some green shoots, but I can't see them forcing a result in in any way um, for, for the next test at least.
2: Yeah. Uh, Maxie, how do you see it, mate? You know, the miracle happens. Packies knock us off. What's changed as a result in that?
1: Yeah, I would have to say something has gone drastically wrong for that to occur. Um, You're probably talking about several hamstrings, calves, shoulders, arms uh, (laughs) falling off the Australian (laughs) Test cricketers. Um, I think that they can be competitive. I think that they can push for a draw. Um, But something would have to go seriously wrong in our camp for Pakistan to to get above the Aussies, I think.
2: Boys, Canberra grade cricket a week or two back. There was a photo that went viral. The middle stump got taken out of the ground, but the bails stayed attached. The umpire awarded it not out because the bails weren't dislodged. It speaks what it was. I've got a question for you, and, and I'll start with uh, you, Maxie, being being the lovely bloke that you are, the ethical bloke that you are. If you were the victim of this, would you be taking the high road, giving it to the bowler, and, and walking off and taking your wicket, or would you be standing your ground and uh, saying, I'm not going anywhere?
1: As much as I love the game, I love the laws, and I know that you need the bales broken for it to be an official dismissal, if that happens to me, I'm getting off that cricket field as quickly as possible. Um, it's clearly, if, if that's happening to you, the bowl has got your measure. I, I can't imagine that the laughter would stop anytime soon. Um, so I'd be wanting to get as far away as humanly possible and find myself a hammy-sized hole to hide in uh, as, as quickly as I can. So... Even though it's probably technically not out, I'm walking.
2: Hammy, I don't believe the batsman did walk. I think mean, he said stuff. Yeah, oh, I'm still here and I'm, I'm putting the anchor down. Uh, how are you taking it?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting call from that bloke. Now, you're chatting to someone who has played a little bit of uh, Canberra grade cricket over the journey. And I can tell you that Canberra is a small place and those competitions are pretty small uh, competitions as well. There's about eight teams in them. You're going to be – word's going to spread quickly about the bloke that didn't walk where his, his stump was, you know, uprooted. People will talk. That will stick with him for this season, uh, the next time these teams play and probably the rest of the time that he plays cricket. So um, if he had have walked off, look, there would have been a little bit of laughing about it the next – oh, this is the bloke that, you know, he got bowled and the, and the bales didn't didn't come off. But now that he's doubled down and said, "I'm not, I'm not leaving, if that's the case <laughs> – um, he's really made his bed there for the next little while in Canberra cricket. So um, thoughts and prayers with that bloke. I hope it was worth it. I hope he went on and made a big score. But um, I think there's a time and a place where you've just got to take your licks, whether or not it is uh, by the letter of the law out. I don't think it reads particularly well. And um, yeah, I don't. I don't know how that one's going to go down for him.
2: Yeah, it's a good point you make on, the, on just the size of Canberra, the nation's capital. Not that big a place, particularly the, the great cricket scene. So yeah. you know, if it happens to you in the middle of London, middle of Delhi, you know, even Sydney, um, you're a big chance of getting away with it on the scene. You know, Correct. they also probably didn't expect it to go so viral, but certainly would have known that at the time. So you know, maybe one of those bigger places, you stand your ground but in Canberra, uh, it's a terrific call, mate. So I'd be, I'd be walking as well because it might be worth the pain later on. Uh, if it was me, I'd be at next yep. ball anyway. So, you know, really, what's it worth? <laughs> Boys, before we move on to our World Cricket Team of the Week, honey, you've got a gripe to pick with the, uh, the auctioneers over at the IPL auction, and you reckon they, they've missed out on someone?
0: Well, I think they missed out on a, There's just a couple of Aussies that I was surprised didn't get picked up at all. You touched on Smith before, Timmy, um, and he's doing great things at the top of the order for the Sixers. Uh, Josh Inglis as well, I thought might have got a look in after scoring a ton in India as well uh, because I love people that come over there and do well against India. They, they generally go quite well at the auction. But the one that really surprised me was Matt Short, who, who was also over there in that tournament, did pretty well um, for Australia. And in my opinion, the best player in the Big Bash uh, of the last couple of years. $89,000 Australian dollars was his base price and nobody had a bite at him. Um, he hasn't been retained as well at this stage. I suspect as things get a little bit closer, he might find a spot on a roster as a replacement player as he did this year. But I couldn't believe it's such a low price, especially considering what um, some of the other players we've spoken about went for, that he didn't get picked up by anyone. I don't know what you boys thought.
2: Surely at uh <laughs> I don't know how deep the rosters are at, at, for the IPL squads, but, you know, if Stark can get $4.5 million, you, you think he could fork out the 89K for Matty Short just to plug a little hole there, Maxie?
1: He could just carry the drinks for that kind of money. <laughs> um, but no, look, no, I'm surprised as well because he's a cricketer who does it in all three formats in the T20 game. It's, it's not only his batting, which we know is, is, is awesome. Um, his bowling's more than serviceable. We know finger spin does quite well in Indian conditions and he's an absolute jet in the field too. Yeah. He's a big unit. He can field in the grippers or he can take catches uh, either on the rope or in the circle. So um, I, I do hope he gets picked up because um, I've got high hopes for him uh, in our white ball teams moving forward for the next couple of World Cups and that kind of experience over there would only serve him better. So,
2: Guys, part two of the show, as I mentioned at the top, we're all cricket nuffs here. We love knowing what's going on in the world of cricket, but it's bloody hard to keep up to date with it all. We're going to name our World Team of the Week. I've given off... Uh, It can be both domestic competitions or it can be international tournaments. Basically, I've given each member of the panel a series around the world, whether it's New Zealand and Bangladesh, England and the West Indies, India, South Africa, the Big Bash, all these tournaments. We've picked up the best performances. We're going to name our one to 11 and debate it. If you're an opener, you can only be picked at one or two. If you're a... You know, an all rounder that's around six or seven, we'll pick two of them. We'll pick three quicks, a spinner, and a middle order of three to five as well. Uh, At the end of it, we are going to do our voting on who our three, two, ones that will go towards a leaderboard called the Hall of Nations. What we're going to do at the end of each month on the podcast. We're going to wrap up and tally the votes, see which nation has the most votes and they can win the month. We'll also do it yearly as well and have an ongoing leaderboard to see who is at the top of that. Boys, let's start at the top. Uh, I will, I'll lead away and I'm going to start with Sumya Sarkar for Bangladesh. Just yesterday, it was the ODI against New Zealand. scored 169 off 151 balls. It was in a total... 291 for Bangladesh. My other one, he did it twice, back-to-back tons. Phil Salt for England in the third T20 uh, against the West Indies, 119 off 57, strike rate 209. Uh, how many do you think you can beat that, mate?
0: I don't know if I can beat that, to be honest with you. I mean, the only the honourable mention I would have would probably be Dave Warner, but was it as impressive as as, as those um, respective uh, performances? Maybe in terms of a news cycle, it was because he got everyone talking yeah. and uh, certainly gave it to the people that um, sort of criticised him in the lead up. But um, if you were just taking it by the raw numbers, uh, I think maybe that the options that you've presented there, I, I could live with those probably
1: uh, being in the in the World 11 this week. I feel I like Timmy's just giving us the big shush. Um, yeah, he has. But, but, but my uh, my other name as well to throw in from the openers, from the India and South Africa series, Tony Zorzi, the South African opener, just his fourth game, scored a brilliant 119 with six sixes uh, to get the home team home in that second ODI, chasing a total of 211. So fairly good effort, but I don't know if it's going to trump you, Timmy.
2: Yeah, look, I was pretty happy with my opening to this segment and, and to see those numbers recorded, I thought, geez, I'll take some real beating here. Look, Hammy, we'll leave it to you, mate. Do Saka and Salt or De Sauzar does he, does he come into their reckoning for you?
0: I'll, I'll give it to you, Timmy. You can take it away with the uh, with the two opening spots there. They're yours.
2: Appreciate that, boys. Hey, rolls three to five. My three players I've got nominated here. And the other thing is, if, if there hasn't been a standout in the position, you might not necessarily have someone in this, but I have got Shy Hope, the first ODI for the West Indies against England. 109 off 83 balls for the Windies. Harry Brook, 31 off seven. They needed England. 21 off the last over in the third ODI against England. They did it in five balls. Brook went mad. Strike rate of 443. Uh, and also Nicholas poren at number three. 82 off 45 in the third T20 against England there as well. So, again, three pretty good nominations. Hammy, I'll throw to you, mate.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking uh, for me, I'm, I'm looking big bash-wise. Um, Aaron Hardy came in at number three last night uh, for the Perth Scorchers and had an absolute day out, um, 85 runs uh, off 45 rocks, including five sixes as well. So he, he was just a player that probably stood out for me, batting in the three to five sort of space. Um that's I had a couple of openers at the top there which we kind of went through. He's probably my only standout from the competitions yeah. that I, I've sort of been covering so far that fell into that particular window.
2: Maxie?
1: Me, I think, Tim, you've you've come with the heavy artillery yeah. uh, with your names this week. Um, I thought Rinku Singh played some really nice hands for India against South Africa in that T20 series. Um, but one who I'm going to stay here until you include him is Surakuma Yadav, who was player in the series of that T20 mm-hmm. uh, against between India and South Africa and scored a ton in Game 3 uh, to win the series. He was player of the series with 160 runs in two games. Uh, and Sky, look, he didn't do it in the World Cup final against our boys, uh, but I think he needs to be in our team of the week.
2: All right. So we have a few options there. I'm happy to take out Shy Hope. Uh, I think Aaron Hardy's knock was narrowly better than Nicholas Poran by a handful of balls. But I want Harry Brook in there for his 31 of seven. I want to give him a nod. Uh, so look, my three would probably have to be Yadav, Brook, Porin. Would you agree to that? Or do, oh, I need Hardy as well. Sorry, Hardy above Pouran. Hardy,
0: have you lost
2: your
1: mind there, Timmy?
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, Hardy, Yadav, and Brook for me.
1: It's really your Melbourne stars bias shining through with Nicholas Pooran and Harry Brooke coming through, Tim. But yeah, man, I, I think hard. for me, Surakumin Yadav, I, I also think Shy Hope's been pretty hard done by it. Uh, mm. he he had a hell of a game for the West Indies.
2: Who have you got I for the Having a reward,
0: him? a little bit of consistency a little bit of consistency from Shy Hope as well. I think he was the player of the series in the T twenties and he came out to start pretty well in the one days. I'd be happy for you to squeeze him
1: in there. All Shy Hope, right. Sky and Brooke.
2: Done. Uh, let's move on to the all-rounder slots in this team. Just probably the one main one for me, and that is big Dre Russ from the West Indies. The first T20 against England. Three for 19 off four overs. Endy hit 29 off 14. Uh, He'll take some beating. Uh, Hammy?
0: Yeah. I think i got him covered here. I'm going to kick off. Well, there's two that I'm going to go with. I'm going to start with a big bash player. Chris Jordan last night, 59 off 20 rocks. And one for 25 off three yeah. overs. A little bit more expensive with the ball, but they're all copying at the Hurricanes bowlers. He was their second most economical. And the only blo- bloke that beat him bowled one over. So remarkable innings that basically kept the Hurricanes in the game. Didn't win them the game, but certainly made a bit of a game of it. And the other one, pretty obvious, uh, the Bison um, in his return to the test side at home. Play of the match in Perth there, 90 uh, 63 not out and the important wicket as well of Barrow's arm. So I don't, I can't imagine there'd be too many uh,
1: protests um, with either of those two, to be honest. Yeah, look, Chris Jordan 50 was not on my bingo card uh, when I tuned in to watch the the Canes <laughs> versus the Scorches at, at Optus Stadium last night. Um, but look, having seen the big bison in the flesh, uh, he is big, and I think he is deserving of a spot in our team of the week.
2: All right, so we're we going Bison and Jordan. Happy with that, boys?
1: Abby. Yeah. We need All a right. keeper.
2: Yep. Shy Hope uh, locked in as the wiki keeper for the side, of course. Hey, Maxi, the bowling lineup, we've got four to pick. It can be spinners, it can be quicks. We don't know what the deck's doing. It could be absolutely turning on a dime. So if we've got four spinners, so be it. Who have you got?
1: I had a couple of spinners uh, in the T20 series between India and South Africa, uh, and then one quick as well um, from the same tour. Firstly, with the spinners, hard to narrow it down between Tabriz Shamsi, who was man of the match in game two with an economical one for eighteen. Um, look, he was bowling really tight in a game where the runs were absolutely flowing, and that's why he got man of the match. Probably not going to get him in front of the Indian uh, of the same discipline, Kuldeep Yadav, who took a fifer in game three. Uh, to ensure and really lock in that win for India by more than a hundred runs. Jeez, imagine South Africa capitulating uh, with the series on the line under pressure. <laughs> um, and the other guy who who's had a really good game as well uh, was Ashdeep Singh, who in that first ODI was unplayable. Um, if you don't know him, he's a fantastic left-armer, swings the ball, and he took five uh, and to bowl South Africa out for hundred and seventeen in that first ODI. Um, a lot of Aussies would have tuned in because it was there waiting for you after the Test match ended between Australia and Pakistan on day four. Uh, so, uh, they're my three nominations for this week.
2: Some strong ones there, mate. A couple of a couple of Michelle Pfeifers. Uh, Hammy, who have you got for your bowlers? Uh,
1: fellow Cam
0: Berendorf, Jason Berendorf, top of the wickets in yeah, the oh. uh, yeah in the in the big bash at the moment. He took four for twenty-five against the Canes last night and three for twenty-eight against the Stars um in melbourne the other day as well so he's sitting pretty on seven at the top of the leaderboard There, swinging it around bowling beautifully at the moment if we have a look at the test match as well i'm actually going to nominate amir jamal i liked what i saw six for 111 stood up probably the the one pakistani bowler to have a real rip in that first innings particularly when stuff was going against them they've been in the field for a day and a half i was pretty impressed there I suppose if I'm looking for an Aussie nomination, I mean, you've probably got to tip your hat at some point to Nathan Lyon, wicket number 500, um, test wicket number 500 uh, in that one there. And an honourable mention I'm going to give to Josh Hazelwood because he missed out on a big payday uh, in the IPL. He took four wickets in this match and uh, he can have an honourable mention for me uh, for the team of the week.
2: Boys, your bowling attack's probably a bit stronger than mine. I'd Matthew Ford for the West Indies, 3 for 29, off 8 in the third ODI against England. So good figures, very strong figures, don't get me wrong. Uh, Adil Rashid for England, the second T20 against the Indies, 2 for 11, off 4 overs. There's some pretty elite figures there. Uh, Will Jacks, 3 for 22, off 7 in the third ODI against the West Indies. So, look, there's a few names I think we can lock in there. I think it's between five players. Yadav's 5 Singh's five-foot, Berendorf, four for 25, and he also had a 3 for. I like the Jamal call in a side that struggled a lot, six for one, 11. Uh, and Agreed. And then you can probably throw in Adil Rashid, two for one, 11. Sorry, two for 11 off four overs in a T20. Uh, which name misses out for you, Maxi Bryden?
1: I reckon I like the look of Jamal. I think Ashdeep Singh and Kuldeep cool for me, my other two that I would definitely pick. Uh, and then I'm, then I'm open to suggestions.
2: <laughs> uh, honey, Rashid v. Berendorf, who have you got? Do you
1: Step want to make one. me point the sign?
0: Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, to Canberra Comets. Jason Berendorf, you're in for me.
2: He's going with uh, the Comet, Jason Berendorf, to round out the team. Boys, our 3-2-1 voting. Uh, it absolutely pains me to say this, but Phil Salt has taken our three points for the week for the English with back-to-back tons in T20s. Uh, Hammy, hard to disagree. Bit of salt that.
0: into the wounds there. <laughs> oh, yep.
2: One of your finest, mate. One of your finest. You. Uh Sky for India as well. He had a Sky's set- the limit for that bloke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a long podcast, isn't it? It's going to be a long year ahead. <laughs>
0: Good luck editing uh, this one.
2: A century 60 and player of the series. And Sarkar for the Bangladesh. 169 off 151 of a total of 291 in the ODI against New Zealand. So a point for the Bangladesh. So he made those
0: runs, he made those runs and they lost.
2: He did. Yeah, they got absolutely rolled. So it was a, it was a phenomenal knock opening the bat for him. He got Shouldn't out. Should have like got the three, three points then? Three points for him, do you think?
1: Well, I don't know. I think a ton in a loss, that's bragging rights if it's not anything else. <laughs> It is. Right. I was going to say Sarka's to be
0: him, but you're quite right. If you score a ton in a losing <laughs> side, it's um, it's happy days, isn't it? Do we you think be,
2: Do we uh, think that Sarka was better than Sky? Should he, does he deserve it nah, too? I,
1: I think Sky is surely for weight of runs, two big scores for India, sixty and then a match winning century. I think that's very, very impressive.
2: Right, boys! In uh, England, three points, India two votes, and Bangladesh one vote to get the scoring underway. Boys, let's wrap that up for the first episode of the Cricketers Playbook podcast. Maxie, thank you, mate.
1: Pleasure, Tim. Man, it's absolutely amazing sitting down here talking cricket and you can express the nuffiness as opposed to keeping it wrapped up inside or in chat rooms. So mean um, it's been great chatting. I hope the listeners enjoy this as much as I have.
2: Hammy, uh, I mean, like a, like a marsh cup uh, crowd catch. We've ridden the highs, we've ridden the lows. But we've got through it. Thank you, mate.
0: We have, Timmy, and we've done it together. That's been the best thing. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, look, if anyone at CA is listening, do us a favour, bring back the Canberra comments. Um, it's not rocket science. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs>
2: yeah, that, that can be the mantra for the podcast over the next 12 months. Bring back the comments. Great mantra. Here's, guys, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in.